Hello, and welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. As I mentioned at the beginning, I'm very excited this morning to start uh, three, four lessons, probably four lessons, um, talking about prayer and um, kind of teaching us about prayer and, and, and talking through what it looks like and what it means for us. Um, I think that for too many people, uh, too many Christians, if we were to poll and, and survey and, and talk to Christians really all over and probably here at City Grace as well, that for too many people, for too many, not everyone, I know some of y'all got it all together and got it all figured out, but for the rest of us, I know that for too many of us, the idea of prayer, maybe that some of the words that might come to mind when we think of prayer is, is frustrating at times. Anybody want to be honest in church and admit that sometimes prayer feels like a frustrating exercise? All right, we got at least three or four honest people. Um, but, I, I, you know, you, you hear words, especially among some of the younger generation, uh, words about prayer like it's boring or uh, the idea that prayer might seem or feel a little bit ritualistic, right? And, and then because we're not sure of what's going on and because it does seem frustrating at times or boring at times, but yet... We're told to pray and that we need to pray. It's, it's confusing, right? But we press on and we do it anyway. And then we don't seem to get what we ask for. And so then prayer can feel discouraging. And then when you feel discouraged about prayer and you don't really see any fruit or result from prayer, then you can kind of begin to think of prayer as kind of fruitless or maybe pointless. And, and I know that, man, it, it seems like a pastor shouldn't even be saying that from the pulpit, but I'm just being honest this morning. And with all of those ideas and all of those feelings and all of those emotions and confusion and uncertainty about prayer, the bottom line is that for too many of us, prayer seems hard. Yes, I got one really honest and the rest of y'all are too scared to say anything. Come on, somebody, has prayer, every, prayer ever felt hard? Yes, it feels hard sometimes. It does. Maybe not always, but there are certainly seasons in our living for God when prayer just seems hard. And then there's, there's different kinds of prayer, right? There's all kinds of different. There's that prayer when you forgot to study, right? Or prayer when you, you know, you're rushing into work and you realize you didn't finish that spreadsheet or that project and you know the boss is going to be asking for, Right? Or then there's the more serious prayer, say when someone you love gets sick or maybe someone in your family or someone you love passes away. And then there's that kind of prayer, the, the devoted prayer, the, the discipline of prayer that makes you a good Christian boy or makes you a good Christian girl, right? Three different kinds of prayer and there's more, but we tend to put all of our hope in that first kind of prayer, right? Those Hail Mary prayers like Hail Mary in the sense of you just throwing a long shot out there, Right? And we, we pray that we never have to pray the second kind of prayer because that comes out of tragedy or pain. And then we avoid that discipline kind of prayer, that third kind of prayer. We avoid that like it's the weird uncle at the family reunion, right? It just, just seems so awkward and it seems so fruitless again sometimes. And so if you're coming back to church or maybe you know, you're trying to follow Jesus for, for the first time as an adult, maybe you went to church when you were younger or something like that, or maybe you'd call yourself a Jesus follower, but you know, but... Man, that prayer discipline thing, right? And man, discipline's a good word to associate with prayer because we almost have to threaten ourselves with physical discipline sometimes if we're gonna find ourselves in a place of prayer. And maybe the most common thing, if we're, again, to survey Christians and, and talk to Christians all over and, and even here at City Grace, one of the most common responses that we will hear from Jesus followers 
is people will say, I need to read my Bible more and I need to pray more. I mean, universally, I need to read my Bible more and I need to pray more. Again, anybody here want to be honest this morning? You'd raise your hand and say, I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray. Only like five of y'all. The rest of y'all kept your hands down and you got, I didn't realize we were in the presence of such spiritual greatness this morning. Come on, somebody. And as a pastor, it bugs me when I hear people say this. Now, now stay with me for a second, okay? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Don't, don't get lost here, okay? It bugs me when people say, I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. And that bugs me, but maybe not for the reason that you might think. Not because, yes, I think, man, why aren't people doing it more? But it bugs me. I cringe when I hear this because I think all too often we have divorced prayer from a person and turned prayer purely into a discipline. Hear me. We have divorced prayer from the concept or the idea that it is a conversation with a person. And we have turned prayer into a ritual or a habit or a discipline that somehow we need to check off on some heavenly checklist so that God will look at us and find us in his favor. Anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? See, I think if we're not praying enough or if we feel like we don't pray, I don't think it's because we're, we're bad people. I don't. I think we're good people. I think if you went person by person and asked you why you thought you needed to pray more or why your prayer life isn't all that you hoped it to be, I think you'd find that every one of us have the absolute best intentions when it comes to prayer, when it comes to reading our Bibles. But when you don't understand what something is designed for, and then when you use that thing in the wrong way to try and accomplish the wrong thing, it's just, it's just going to happen that you're going to get frustrated and you're going to stop using it. Imagine trying to cut your lawn with a butter knife. Like imagine if that's what you thought a butter knife was for. Imagine if you got a brand new toaster, you know, because you get three of them when you get married. So imagine you got your brand new toaster and you think that that is the machine that you're supposed to use to cook a pot roast. It wouldn't work very well as a pot roast cooker, would it? Imagine trying to use chopsticks to eat rice. It just doesn't make sense. Come on, somebody. Can you preach with me a little bit this morning? It just doesn't make sense. Sooner or later, you got to ask the waiter for a spoon, somebody. You can't eat rice with chopsticks, with apologies to all of you who know how to hold those things and use them for more than hair decoration. But I think that prayer is one of the most misunderstood things in the Christian life. And when we don't understand how to use something, we will toss it in a drawer and we will forget all about it. And for too many Christians, for too many Jesus followers, prayer is in the drawer. And then pastor gets up and says he's going to talk about prayer. And you think, oh, yeah, I should pray more. Oh, yeah, I do got to pray. And oh, yeah, and I kind of feel guilty because I, I haven't really been praying. See, I'm trying to remember when's the last time I prayed? Well, I had breakfast at 9, right? Like, I, I haven't been praying. Or, you know, there's a little bit of dread. Okay, okay. It's like going to the gym, right? Okay, I know it's good for me. But I, I got to do it. Or you come up with all the re Well, I can't pray. God knows. <laughs> I've got three kids. Hello, I can't pray. I'm just praying that God keeps me sane. And why 
in the world does prayer feel this way? Why does prayer happen like this when prayer is supposed to be the space and in our lives where we connect and interact with the creator of everything? Did you hear what I said? It's the space and the time and the moments in our life where we get to, to connect with and we get to interact with the creator of everything. That should excite us. That should light up our eyes and raise your eyebrows like I'm raising mine right now. You should be excited about prayer. The one that spoke the Milky Way into existence, the one who spoke and stars and galaxies tumbled out of his mouth, the one who created everything and created you and created me and knows us by name. We have access to his ears. We have access to his mind and his heart and his wisdom through prayer. God, the one who planned for me. God, the one who planned for you, who knows your life, who knows your past, who knows your failures and your weaknesses, but also knows what you were designed and created to do and believes in you more than you believe in yourself. You have an access and a pathway to him. And the pure and the simple concept of what prayer is, it should captivate us. It should excite us. It should leave us in awe and in wonder like we were just singing about. That we would have access to God. Come on, tell somebody close to you, I have access to God. I have access to God. But for some of us, it's like the turn signal thing in our car. Right? We, it's there for us to use. We know that it'll make us a better driver. And yeah, if pastor pulls up alongside or a cop pulls up alongside, we'll use it for the next block or two, right? But it just feels so inconvenient to the driving experience. I mean, sure, we see some value in using it some of the time, but I don't see a ton of value in using it all the time. But I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get in trouble if I ever get caught not doing it. And so prayer, and so prayer. And then there's this other thing that we wrestle with, right? Like, you know, that prayer is primarily the way that we get things from God. That's a big one out there. That's a big idea wrapped around prayer, like a weed. And like God is some sort of mysterious and frankly a little bit scarier version of Santa Claus. Like prayer is the equivalent of sending letters to the North Pole. It's just not... It's not, and I know, I know, this is depressing for some of you. It's like the first time that someone told you there is no Santa Claus at the tender age of 16, but it's not. Prayer is not like writing a letter to Santa Claus, but come on, you guessed this a long time ago, didn't you? Because you've prayed and you've asked for things and it just didn't seem to work like that. But we'll hold out hope that that's still how prayer is supposed to work. But you know, I just, I haven't been good enough. I haven't done enough to earn it. I haven't done enough to deserve it. And there's no way that God's gonna answer my prayer today, but hey, I'm just gonna throw it out there anyway. What could it hurt? And we have that attitude towards prayer. But then there's those other times, like when we know We've been good. Well, I've been good. Oh, this prayer's gonna work. I just helped my in-laws move and I gave money to the guy holding the sign when I bought lunch for God is going to, we clear our throat when we get ready for that prayer. 
Oh, heavenly Father, thee dost I now petition for verily my new Mercedes or whatever it is that we're trying to ask for. And we, we think we've earned whatever we're going to ask for at that point. And so we throw that prayer out there proudly based on our behavior. And it's like crickets from heaven. Silence. Nothing comes back to us. And as silly as I've been and goofy as I've been trying to lay it out there, frankly, sometimes those prayers where we don't get answers were really, really deep and serious. And, and, and like, you know, somebody, somebody really got hurt. Like somebody really needed God to be there. And God, are you even there? God, are you even listening? God, why did you? Or God, why didn't you? Or God, how could you, right? Maybe it wasn't you. Maybe you've just kind of given up that you're ever going to earn an answered prayer. But maybe it was your mom. Maybe it was your grandmother, someone that you know has a good relationship with God. And they asked for God, God for something for years. And it just seemed like God never seemed to answer. And it's, it's like, you know, what in the world do we do with unanswered prayer? Help me out, Zach. I don't know if this is working. Zach, this is failing on me. Can you run this for me? Can you go back one slide? I'm going to turn this off up here. What do you do with prayers that don't seem to work? What do you do? What do we do when prayer just doesn't seem to work? And most of us, quite frankly, we just give up. We stop asking because it's easier to just not ask than it is to be disappointed again in prayer. It just feels like prayer doesn't work, or at least it feels like prayer doesn't work for me or for mine, right? It seems like the lottery. You've heard of people winning the lottery, but it just seems like you can't seem to get that winning combo of, of luck and good behavior somehow put together to get your prayers answered. And so again, we're back to the beginning. Sometimes, honestly, prayer can be frustrating. Prayer can be discouraging. Prayer can seem like it's not working or that it's fruitless or that it's weak or that it's boring. It's the way we feel about prayer sometimes. So thank you all for coming this morning. You're all dismissed. No, but that's why I'm excited to talk and to kick off this morning this, this idea and this, this, these next four sermons on, on prayer with so much confusion and so much disappointment that kind of gets wrapped around prayer and, and unfairly gets wrapped, in, wrapped around and attached to prayer. The, the, the questions that I get asked about how to pray or how to pray better is another one that I get Asked, to, to, asked about a lot of times, I really am happy to talk to us about prayer because I think prayer should be the most exciting part of our relationship with God. Prayer is the way that we have and maintain and enjoy our relationship with God. So it's time, it's time for our prayer education. It's time for you to get prayer educated. Can I hear a good amen from somebody this morning? Yes, I made that word up. Yeah, we all get that we should pray, right? If we really believe in God, we all get that we should pray. We should be talking with him and we should expect some kind of response back to us. But we're gonna take some time over these next few lessons and look at, you know, why do we pray at all? Why does prayer even exist as a concept? And maybe if prayer's not about getting what I want from God, then what is prayer supposed to be? And, and how do I handle disappointed prayers? What do I do with those frustratingly elusive answers, the things that I've been asking for again and again, and I've just about given up hope ask, asking anymore? And, and then how does my behavior affect my prayers? 
Does it count if I've been good? Does it count if I've been bad? And, and throughout all of this, this we'll, we'll touch some on the how-tos of prayer. But as I think we'll see as we get through these other things, the how-to of prayer and the how of prayer is really going to start taking care of itself. So I'm really, really excited to start talking about prayer with us this morning. But to start off this morning's lesson, did anybody ever wish that you could have been around when Jesus was here during his earthly time? Right? Like Jesus and all of the miracles and indoor plumbing and I am there. Like I want that. That's, that's what I want. And all of those miracles that he did, right? Blind eyes being opened. Limbs growing back, that had to be so weird, right? To see limbs growing back. Disabled people jumping to their feet and running around and leaping, maybe for the first time ever in, his, in their lives. And, and then the sermons and the messages of Jesus, the way that he could captivate an audience and the way he could trick his opponents and the, the truth bombs that he would drop and just, you know, he would get done talking and people would just be left shaking their heads in amazement and wonder and sometimes confusion over what it was that he was saying. But with all of the miracles that he did, I, I find this fascinating, with all of the sermons that he gave, with all of the, you know, supersizing of the value meals and feeding 5,000, you know, with, a, with all of the walking on the water and the calming the storm and, and everything else that he did, the 12 closest followers of Jesus never asked him to teach them how to work miracles. They never asked him to teach them how to preach a sermon. They only ever asked him to teach them one thing. Does anybody want to guess what that one thing was, how to pray. Luke chapter 11 and verse one, one day when Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Can you imagine seeing Jesus pray? Can you imagine watching Jesus pray so often that you came to him one day after seeing how energized he was by prayer? After seeing how full prayer seemed to make him, how he seemed to get up from the prayer time just with a sense of contentment and peace and, and resoluteness about him and just something about the way that Jesus was after he got done praying that you couldn't even help yourself. When he got done praying one of those times, you just had to ask him, Jesus, will you show me how to do that? Because it didn't seem like to Jesus prayer was very discouraging or frustrating at all. And when the disciples looked at Jesus, they saw this, this connection between his public ministry and all of the public miracles that he did and this, this connection between that and his secret life of prayer. And they understood something that I think we forget sometimes, that the secret to what he did in the public, it was all under uh, uh, reinforced, rather. It was all built upon the foundation of what he did in private and in secret. Everything he did in public was based on his prayer life that he had in secret. And so they asked him, Lord, will you teach us to pray? And the awesome thing is he did. He did teach them to pray. And that attitude that they had is step number one in learning to love prayer. Just like us, they were painfully aware of how unworthy they were of connecting and talking with the Father. 
just like us. They were painfully aware of how little they knew about prayer because when they compared their prayers to his, it was not even the same animal. Just like some of us, when we think of our prayer life, it can't be what Jesus did. All There had to be something different that Jesus enjoyed when he prayed. And, and we, you know, we know that based on our behaviors and our actions, we just don't deserve what he got. And, and then some of them and some of us struggle, right? We're wrestling, caught in this, between this place of, of believing and, and then doubting, right? And it's like, we trust in God and so we're praying. You know, we, we got one eye closed in prayer and then we got another eye open, kind of looking out for our own solution because we doubt, but we believe We're sure, but we're not sure. We've been good, but we're not sure if we've been good enough. And we're just not sure. And the only thing that we know is that what we experience in prayer is not what Jesus seemed to experience in prayer. But here is the beautiful thing. Here is the amazing thing, the thing that should change your attitude when it comes to developing yourself in prayer is that when you come to Jesus and you know that you're not worthy and when you come to Jesus and you know that you wrestle with doubt sometimes and you're not always the most trusting and the most believing that what you pray is going to work, those doubts and those struggles and those weaknesses and those failures do not disqualify us from the school of prayer. But Jesus still stands with open arms and he takes the weakest of us. He takes the lowest of us. He takes us at our worst and he is still willing to bring us to a place where we can enjoy the presence of the Father. So they come to him and they say, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? And right away in verse two, Jesus gives them what I think is the biggest piece to the prayer puzzle. In verse two, he tells them, when you pray, say, Father. Say, Father. Well, that seems kind of disappointing. It seems so basic. It seems so fundamental. I mean, like I've been going to Sunday school my whole life. I kind of, I knew that, right? And, 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 but this is a big deal. And this is a big reason that Jesus enjoyed prayer so much. This is a big reason that Jesus' prayers were so effective. Jesus tells us in Matthew 11 that he came to reveal the Father to us. But I wonder sometimes, when we pray, do we really intentionally begin our prayers by setting God in our minds as our Father? Now, this one takes some reflection. You're going to have to think about this. Do you really begin every single prayer by thinking of God intentionally as your father? And then not just any kind of father, not an absent father, not a weak father, not a angry father, not a father who is unreal in his expectations, not a father that is all too human and, and frail and may be absent in t- at times, but a heavenly father, a perfect father, a powerful father, a very present and promised never to be absent father. When you pray, do you intentionally start there? Or sometimes when we start praying, 
Do we say the word father, but do we really mean something else? When we say father, do we really mean God and whatever that might mean, right? Some kind of mysterious and faraway deity. We're saying the word father, but we're not really coming to the idea of a father, coming to the concept of a father. Maybe we're saying father, but we're thinking that he's kind of this, this stingy one, right? Got the blessings tightly held up in his hands and we've got to convince him that he should give us what we're asking for. He should open up and just sprinkle a little bit of his goodness. It just, you know, it seems someone that's so unlike me, right? Father, but yeah, you're a father, but you really don't understand who I am. You're a father, but you can never really understand where I've been or why I've done the things that I've done, the reasons that I find myself in failure, weakness. Father, the one who, who must be angry with me because of the way that I have been. I'm telling you, to us who are in wandering, to us who are in pain to us who are looking for hope and we're searching for meaning and reason to the pain and the tragedy and even the love and the joy sometimes of life. Jesus gives us a very, very important piece to the puzzle of prayer when he says, start with calling him your father to all of us who are searching for something, who are needing something so desperately. Jesus is saying, this is who you are praying to. You need to get your mind mind there. You need to get your heart there. This is what he thinks of you. This is how he feels toward you. You are his child and he is your father. And man, when Jesus said this, no one had ever talked about God like this before. And not enough of us think about God in this way. When we begin praying, we're focused on our own behavior. We're focused on our worth we're focused on the words that come out of our mouth. We're focused on our posture or our recent history. And Jesus is saying, when you start praying, that's the first thing you gotta do. Get your eyeballs off of you and turn your eyes to your heavenly Father. Prayer is not about you. Prayer isn't about me. Prayer is about a good, good God who created us, who loves us, who is listening and waiting for us to turn to him in prayer. Jesus revealed the Father, a Father who is invisible, a Father who is eternal, and a Father who is spirit. How do we even describe that? I mean, we have words, but those words fall so short of what it actually means, a Father invisible, eternal, and spiritual. But in Jesus, we see a Father who, though he was spiritual, came into our physical world. We see a father in Jesus who, though he was invisible, yet in Jesus we see the image of the invisible God, a God who is eternal, yet he stepped into a moment in time, and Jesus was the very expression of God himself. And in Jesus Christ, in his son, he laid down his only ever fully human presence to offer us a covering for all of our wrongs, a covering for all of our failures, just Justice being served upon him for all of our injustice. And to us, he only extended his mercy. Father, Father, Father. Come on, all over this room, could you close your eyes? And could you just say that word? Come on, Father. Come on, think of everything that means in your mind. Father, Father, Father. God in Christ 
taking our injustices upon himself and passing his mercies on to us. He is not just a father, but he is an infinitely good father. There has never been a father like our heavenly father. You will never see the fullness of God in all of his fatherhood outside of Jesus Christ in his sonship. And that's why Jesus made the claim that he made that I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life because every other description of deity or God that you could find anywhere else falls so short of this proof of his perfect fatherhood. It's only in Jesus that we see God in all of his power. It's only in Jesus that we see the Father in all of his majesty. It's only in Jesus that we see the Father in all of his mercies and all of his kindness and all of his patience and his justice and his substitution and everything in It was God in majesty, God in mercy, God in Christ. I love 2 Corinthians 5 and 19 who says that God was in Christ. Reconciling us. Reconciling us. Making peace with us and bringing us to himself and not counting our sins against us. If what we see so famous in Jesus is purely him revealing the heart of the Father toward us, then this is where prayer has to start. This is where prayer has to start. Prayer begins with the truth about how a heavenly Father feels toward us. In other words, prayer begins with him. Prayer does not begin with you. Prayer does not begin with me. Prayer begins with the Father. Prayer begins with the Father. And we learn the most about prayer by learning about God himself. When we think of prayer, too often we think of a discipline and we don't think of God. When we think about prayer, too often we think of a ritual and we don't think about the Father. If you want to know more about prayer, You need to start trying to understand the Father. If you want a deeper understanding of prayer, you need to begin with a deeper understanding of the Father and how much He loves you and what He has done for you and what He thinks about you. If you feel like your prayers are weak, do you feel like God is weak? If you feel like your prayers are frustrating, do you find God frustrating? If we dread coming to a time of prayer, do we dread coming into the presence of God? Think of what we enjoyed this morning, the singing and the clapping and the raising. Nobody dreads that. We glad, I hope you gladly came. I don't know, maybe I should qualify what I'm saying this morning. I love Sunday morning. I love worship. I love the music and the singing and inviting and welcoming in the presence of God into this space and into this moment with my 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 praise and my, my gratitude for His goodness. Why do I about prayer. Maybe it's because I'm thinking about prayer. I'm focusing on prayer and I'm not focusing on the one that prayer gets me to. We pray. We pray. Not for prayer's sake. We don't pray for habit's sake. We pray because in prayer, we get to come close to a good, good father. 
We can speak to God in prayer because God has already spoken to us. And we are the recipients of his goodness and his grace. One more time, can you give God thanks all over this room? Can you say a word of gratitude? Can you imagine? We do this in prayer. Can you imagine walking up to someone, smiling, hand outstretched, They smile back. They stick their hand out. You grab hands and and shake and you say, hello. And they just keep smiling and don't say anything back. It's so awkward. It's so uncomfortable. And yet this is what has happened in prayer. God has already spoken. He already dropped the first word on the cross. His hand is outstretched. And yet sometimes when we are invited to prayer, it's like we're just shaking his hand and not saying anything back. It's awkward. Give him ease and respond. Father, Father, the one who has approached us, the one who has initiated the relationship with us. And see, this started all the way back in Genesis Genesis chapter 1, God speaks the beginning of everything. God speaks everything into existence. God didn't use a magic wand. God didn't pull anything out of the hat, not even the rabbits. He spoke everything into existence. Spoke everything by name. And yes, I know Adam named everything later. But before Adam could name it, God had to speak it so that it came into existence. Isn't it special when someone calls you by name that you don't really know? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Someone remembers your name and they're like, there's no reason they should remember your name. That feels good, doesn't it? And then you go to Starbucks and you tell them your name. And your name's Tom. And you get your cut back and it says Ben. Tell them your name's Jared and your name is Jerry, Gerald, Gary, Larry, Bob. I mean, it's gotten to the point like, Just go in and and look at the mobile order section and just pick something up and go and just tell them they spelled your name wrong. It's all right. No, you didn't hear that at church. That's not all right. It's only right if you ask God to forgive you afterwards. That's the way that you sanctify the free coffee. There you go, right? But in the beginning, God speaks every single thing into existence. God is intimately familiar with every single thing that he has created and made. He knows how it all works. His mind and his design has put every little thing together. Jesus talked about it later. He said not even one little sparrow is insignificant to God. That not even one little sparrow dies without God being present at its funeral. God, intimately familiar with all of his creation. There's something about speaking. God spoke all of these things. And and then we're created in the image of God. And and there's something about speaking to others and, and with others that is so much a part of our existence as humans. This is why sensory deprivation is is a form of torture. It's why solitary confinement is a form of of extra punishment because it drives people insane because we're we're wired for communication and for interaction. Genesis 1 and verses 27 and 28, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. And then look what happens in verse 28. God blessed them and said to God, God spoke first. When God spoke, the relationship began. Before, they're in that awkward silence. 
And they're alive, but there is no interaction. The relationship does not happen until God speaks. Communication from God is what grounds and starts and launches the relationship. It forms the relationship and sets it into existence. They know who God is because he has spoken to them. They know what God is because he speaks to them. And by the time we get to Genesis chapter 3, it turns out that God is taking regular evening strolls through the garden with them. What do you do when you take a walk with someone? Depends on what kind of shape you're in. I found that out on some of Dustin's walks that he made the side of a mountain where this guy was sat on the steps and Stephanie was one of them, I remember. They went way past and it was like a switchback trail and I could hear him like three levels up and they're like, do you think he's okay? <laughs> I wasn't okay, Stephanie. She never came back for me. But even when you're out of breath, you grunt. Uh, this, uh, uh, you're still communicating. You're like, hey, I need a break. You're killing me out here. <laughs> Communication happens in relationship. If you don't communicate, you don't have a relationship. Oh, man, I should have charged 15 bucks and called this a marriage seminar. Mm. Can I hear a good amen from some women in the house? That's right. <laughs> All right, I got to go on. But then you know at least the outline of what happens next. It's a good relationship. Everything's perfect. They stroll through the meadow in the evening time, but then man and woman do a bad thing and they break the relationship. And then it's evening time. It's prayer time, if you'll allow me. Oh man, it's time to, to meet with God again, but we have done something to break the relationship. And if you're a human and you're honest in church this morning, you've probably done something like I have in your past to break a relationship. And the first thing we do when we have wronged someone and broken a relationship, I'm talking about when you know you're the one that did something wrong. The first thing we do is we try and avoid that person. We go in a whole different route, walk a different hallway, ask the boss to switch cubicles. I mean, like, whatever we can do. Why? We're trying to cut off communication because the relationship is broken and communication is the primary interaction of a relationship. And so we try and make ourselves unavailable. So the man and his wife, in verse 8, heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the, in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I'm going to avoid God. I'm going to hide from God because I don't want to speak back to God. But then the most beautiful thing happens. But the Lord God called to the man. Oh, I, I got it in my notes. Pause because everybody will be running the aisles right there. And nobody ran the Did you hear what I said? But the Lord God called to 
the man, when they were in their brokenness, when they were in their failure, when they had just believed a lie about his character and broken, messed up paradise, ruined the whole thing. But God did not push a button and nuke them. God didn't wipe them out. God didn't write them off. God didn't start over with somebody else. But God came to where they were in their brokenness. And God called to the man, where are you? Just like God is calling to you this morning. It's why you're here. It's why you got dressed. It's why you came to this place. It's why we're lifting our hands. It's why we're clapping. It's why we're saying thank you because we have heard the call of a good father come on can you respond to him this morning come on can you lift up your voice come on come on I feel God in this moment come on clap your hands a little bit more Oh, Jesus. Father. Father. Can you be, are you beginning to see why Jesus said start with Father? Father. Father. Lord God called to them, where are you? Where are you? Are you? God has an expectation of communication. God expects there to be back and forth. God expects us to be close to him and him to be close to us. We were wired for this. We were made in his image. And if the desire for communication and relationship is in us, we have to understand that it originated in him. So God calls out, where are you? Because God wants to talk with them. But something happens that has never happened before. But it's been happening ever since. God spoke. But people stopped answering. God called. But people stopped answering. God called the man didn't answer the woman didn't answer and they stayed hidden from a good father God put himself out there God floated his words into the air his his questions his ideas his very presence which should have told him something about who he was went out to call to them but people Stopped answering. Can you imagine what they were thinking in those? Can you imagine peeking through the leaves? Can you imagine the fear? They'd never felt fear before. Imagine the nervousness, the the uncertainty. And I don't know what I'm going to do with the mess that I've made. I don't know how to fix what I've done. And what if the obstacle to happy and fulfilling prayer isn't that God is somehow mysterious and hidden from us. What if the biggest obstacle to us having happy and fulfilling prayer is the fact that we often hide ourselves from God? Think back over the past few weeks. 
Think back over the past few months or maybe just the past few days. Come on, you've been feeling it for a while now. You've been hearing something for a while now. It sounds like the echo of the voice of a good father and he's calling out to you, where are you? We're hiding. We're making ourselves unavailable. We plug our ears with busy calendars. A lot of times because we're kind of scared of what we think he's going to say to us, but really we hide for all kinds of reasons. And Adam and Eve hid because they had broken the trust between themselves and God. And you need to pay special attention to this next part because chances are you have the story wrong. God had given them a warning. God had not given them a threat. God had given them a warning. And there is a huge difference between the two. God had given them a warning. If you eat that stuff, you will die. It was not a threat. It was a warning. But somebody told them a lie about God's goodness. So they ignored his warning. They did what they wanted to do in spite of it all. They listened to another voice that was much lower than God. And they took into themselves something that made them less than human. Have you ever had your kid catch you eating chocolate when you don't want to share? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Daddy, what's that? Medicine. And then your kid goes and starts telling people, yeah, daddy and mommy like to share their medicine sometimes. And then somebody calls CPS and it's all... Hello, it's all funny when it's chocolate, but the example takes a dark dark turn if your kids no longer trust what you tell them something is and then they drink a bottle of liquid plumber after you tell them it's poison. Think about it. Imagine your kid drank liquid plumber and then they got scared and so they went and hid from you. What would your attitude be? What would you do? What would you say? And every analogy breaks down at some point, and this one, of course, breaks down at the beginning because God had never done anything to break their trust. There was no reason for them to doubt God's good intentions. Read Genesis 1, read Genesis 2. It's like the narrative is trying to get it into our brains over and over and over again, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good, and God rested from all he had made, and it was all good. He was trying to show us this is who your father is. It is all good, but you have believed a lie about his goodness, and people are still believing lies about God's goodness. And so we take into ourselves things that kill us, and things that destroy us and things that steal things from us and they make us less than human and behaviors and words and habits and attitudes that degrade us and they leave us sick and poisoned. And then we poison the relationships of the people around us that we love the most and then in our shame we run and we hide from a good, good father, the very one who can cure our, our sickness, our disease and he is calling out to us, where are you? He is desperate to find you. He is desperate to get back in touch with you. You sometimes want him to leave you alone, but he's determined not to because we have taken into ourselves things that are destroying us from the inside, but he is a good father and he has come to find us in our brokenness. And so he calls, where are you? 
but we hide. And like we all know, when we break relationships, communication is the first thing to go. And then when we do speak, we don't confess first. We start making excuses. We blame circumstances. We blame that we're hungry. We blame the time of, blame the time of night. Blame it because it's the morning. Blame some sunspots. A few years ago, everybody said, thanks, Obama. Like That's what everything was. You just figure out something to blame for all of the wrong in your life. But you never confess. We never admit as a first order of action. And the same thing happens with Adam and leave. And what they say is the measure of their relationship. And what we say when we finally do speak to God is the measure of our relationship. But hear me this morning. The relationship is what is most important. The relationship is what is most important. We have conversations because they enrich our relationships. The conversation is not the thing. The relationship is the thing. The conversation is just a way to get more of the thing. In my marriage, I don't need more conversation. I need more Chelsea. And the conversation is simply the means to an end. The flowers and the chocolate are not the thing. I keep telling her that. The flowers and the chocolate are not the thing. They were merely a means to, I mean, this is a marriage seminar so good. But hear me this morning, Christians, we focus so much on the habit of prayer, the measure of prayer, the duty of prayer, the minutes that we have or have not spent in prayer. Oh no, I didn't pray yesterday. Oh no, I didn't pray this morning. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to pray tomorrow. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And it sounds like I'm a pastor and I'm talking bad about prayer. What in the world is going on up here? And there is a sense, yes, because I want us to understand that if we focus on prayer, if that becomes what we value more than the person that prayer leads us to, then we will have gotten it all tragically wrong. Prayer is a means to me accessing my heavenly father. Listen to me, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say, but just give me some liberty if you would. You don't need more prayer. You need more of your heavenly father. Prayer is the way you get there, but take your focus off of the habit and put your focus on him. Put your focus on his heart. Put your focus on his mercies. Put your focus on his power. Get your eyes off what you need and get your eyes on all that he has. Get your eyes off all that you are not and get your eyes on everything that he is. He is a good, good, good father. And so Jesus says, start with Father. Start with Father. Start with Father. If we focus on the habit of prayer, we risk never meeting with the Father. But if we will focus on the Father, prayer will naturally follow. Not, I forgot to pray yesterday. But Father, I missed you yesterday. 
Not, I was too busy to rush out the door this morning and so I didn't get in my five or 10 or 15 minutes of prayer, but Father, I need you right now. Not, I gotta make sure that I schedule in a ritual or no, Father, I need you. I needed you yesterday. I need you today. And God, tomorrow I'm gonna need you more than I ever have before. Father, I wanna see your face every morning. Father, I wanna feel your hand on my head before I go to sleep every night. Father, I need you at my job. Father, I need you. Lord, I need you on the freeway. Father, I need you to provide. Father, I need you to be present. I don't need a habit. I don't need a ritual. I don't need a duty or a checkbox. I need the Father. I am desperately in need of my heavenly Father. Come on all over this room. Can you clap your hands and tell him that you need him? Tell him that you appreciate him. Tell him how much he means to you. focus of prayer is not prayer. Father, the focus of my prayer is you. It's you. It's you. Adam and Eve break communication and they're barred as an act of God's goodness. And that's a hard truth to swallow. But you look at it and you think of how small acts of evil lead to greater acts of evil. And you realize that God barring them from access to eternal life was the most merciful thing that a good father could have done but he doesn't leave them apart from himself. The story of the Bible, the story of you, the story of me, is the story of how we have all turned our backs on a good, good father. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, the Bible says. We've all tried to pursue goodness outside of a good father. We've all tried to get there on our own and in our rebellion and in our pride and in our foolishness, God, the Father, has never stopped calling. There are days and there are times, come on this morning, there are seasons of our life, actions and things we have done in our life that make it barely believable that God would still call to us. We wrestle with that. We struggle with that. I just don't think I'm good enough. I just don't think he would want me. But it's all based on us. We're looking at us. We're thinking about us. We're not thinking about him. So Jesus would say to us again, start with Father. Start with Father. Because just like you and I would never abandon your daughter, your son, when they need you the most, God did not abandon us. And to a world that had believed a lie about his goodness, he came and revealed himself to us in his son, Jesus Christ. And he gave us an undeniable proof that he is indeed good. He gave us an undeniable call a voice that we can't, we just can't ignore it. You can't ignore Calvary. You can't ignore what it says to you. 
You have to hold every lie up to Calvary, every lie that would turn you away from coming close to him. You have to put that against Calvary and see it for what it really is. It's another lie trying to tell you that God's not good. And I'm telling you, he is and Calvary proves it once and for all. He's good. He's good. He's pursuing us. He's chasing us to come and to say the way is open. Forgiveness is here and you can come back to me now. So prayer isn't some ritual. Prayer isn't some, you know, heavenly brownie point system where you somehow measure your worth and your value to God. Prayer is not how you prove how holy you are. Prayer isn't even a conversation that we start. Prayer is a response to God's question, where are you? And in our brokenness, and in our lostness, and in our wandering, when we don't know what to say, Jesus says, start with Father. Start with Father. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.